Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the CPR Health Podcast. I'm Sagar Doshi, boarded and practicing emergency medicine physician and lifestyle medicine physician. And I'm Zach Carmoses, boarded and practicing emergency physician and practicing lifestyle medicine physician. Today, we're going to talk about a whole food plant-based diet. We've been going through the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet in a couple of our other podcasts here, but we haven't really told you what exactly is a whole food plant-based diet, so we figured maybe we should do a dedicated podcast on it. It seems important. Yeah, to tell somebody something can save your life and then just kind of not tell them what it is. It's It's a secret. Yeah, it's kind of mean. Yeah, so let's get into it. All right, so one decent way of thinking about this is really the ideal foods that we should be eating are foods that are coming from plants and not parts of plants that have been processed and run through this thing and that thing and this machine and doesn't even remind you of a plant later on. But actually, you know, you can tell that it came from a tree, a bush, from underground, from something related to a plant. If it still looks and reminds you of a plant, that's good to eat. Yeah, I think the misconception that we sometimes get into is the vegan diet. Mm. Um and yes, a whole food plant-based diet is a form of a vegan diet, but I would I think it's a bit more specific. No, I shouldn't say I think it is. It's more specific than that. There are some foods that are vegan that are certainly not good for you. Oreos. Oreos. And French fries. Sodas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, a lot of highly processed soy stuff where soy yeah. in its whole form is great, but if you have highly processed certain foods, kind of like you were saying, uh, that is not good for you um, for multiple reasons. Can I just interject here? There was a study, I want to say it was put out by Harvard a long time ago, but it looked at certain groups, including um, trying to compare a group that was vegan, eating mostly processed stuff, to a group that was eating mostly plant-based stuff, and just a regular group, and looking at their health outcomes. And really, here's possibly a surprise for some people, it was worse than the people eating quote-unquote a vegan diet because they're eating a lot of processed junk. Yeah. And it was best in the more plant-based group. Yeah. I mean, the benefits from a study standpoint aren't even close that a whole food plant-based diet has decreased risk of almost every bad outcome in medicine that we care about. Uh, and we talked about that before. I can't think of an exception at the moment. No, me neither. It's not a panacea, but... Right. But I think that's a really important point is that specifically a whole food plant-based diet. You see a lot of studies comparing people who eat meat or the standard American diet or even Mediterranean diets to, quote, vegans. And a lot of the times the vegan outcome does not look like it comes out any ahead or sometimes, like you said, it's even worse. And it's really specific that we need to say that that's supposed to be a whole food plant-based diet. We're not comparing it to vegans. Comparing it to vegans is worthless because they eat, I shouldn't say they eat, but they can't eat. You can eat a lot of vegan food that's that's terrible. It's a lot more all-encompassing. Right. Right. So- this people ask us this all the time, and I guess we should probably answer this question. What do you eat? I mean, how many times do you tell people you eat a whole food plant-based diet? And like, what's that mean? You're like, are you vegan? You're like, yeah, it's kind of vegan. And they go, what do you eat for dinner? Uh, so, Sagar, what, what's what's a typical thing that you eat? So, let's see. Let's just go through. It's middle afternoon. So, I just had lunch. So, I had some really nice uh, gnocchi, potato-based with plenty of mixed up vegetables and a nice tomato sauce. It was super delicious. I ate as much as I wanted until I was full. For breakfast, this morning I had a mix of oats and barley with fruit 
And there's some other grains in there. I've mixed them all up at this point into a giant box, and I no longer know what's in there. But it's all good. <laughs> and it lasts forever, which is kind of nice. Uh, no, it doesn't. I eat a lot. Well, <laughs> it, would, it would last forever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It doesn't spoil. That's the nice point. Right. That's what you mean. Yes. That's. I mean, so that's what that's we eat leftovers 10, 12 days out with absolutely no concern about catching any foodborne illness as opposed to having a chunk of beef sitting in there, which at this point in my life sounds kind of gross to just have like beef sitting in my fridge. <laughs> I know to most, like to a lot of people, it doesn't, I get that. But for me, it's kind of like, yeah. Especially if you know what it's doing once it's inside your body. Right. Yeah, that's true. And if you if you know it so well that it's graphically represented in your mind, and like I'm, what it's doing. Yeah, and I'm sure that's why it's gross to me. Um, but anyway, it, these things last forever. Same thing with, you know, oat milk or almond milk versus dairy milk. Um, they, they just last better. They, t- they maintain their taste better. Uh, they don't spoil when you do sip them. They don't, you ever think that soured milk taste? Have you ever had that? You were never a big milk drinker, I guess, were you? There was a time, but that time was long ago. Yeah. Um, I was a cheese person. You are a cheese person? Oh, okay. yeah. I've never had rotted cheese. It's called blue cheese. And I hate blue cheese. So there you, you go. go. I don't even think I knew that. <laughs> I know so little about cheese. Yeah, and even in the production of cheese, I mean, you could kind of say, even the initial production of it is kind of rotting. It means bacteria. That's true. The processes of bacteria, various bacterias. Yeah, that's Some true. stinky. Yeah, most of, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um, I feel like getting, that was a tangent. We're getting off topic here. Yeah. So getting back on topic. Uh, yeah, the, the diet itself is not as difficult as people make it out to be. It's not like we're clamoring for ideas all the time like i can't believe we're, we've been doing this for i don't know five six years now and i have i don't look back and say that i miss any meals i don't look back and say i don't know what to eat uh, i haven't lost weight um my strength and conditioning are better now than they were six years ago uh, so it's not like we're struggling one of the most important things that we talk about with a whole food plant-based diet uh, the uh, vegetable class are cruciferous vegetables. And, and I only bring this up because there are certain things that cruciferous vegetables help out with that are certain nutrients that you get there that you don't necessarily get in other places. And there are a lot of cancer-fighting benefits. Um, the, the list is arugula, bok choy, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, collard greens, horseradish, surprisingly, kale radishes, uh, turnips, watercress, and wasabi. Mustard greens, too. I'll just put that in there. Yeah. Um, those are the things that you want to incorporate a couple times a day, a couple servings of those every day into your diet uh, because they are specifically helpful. Uh, so cancer researchers love studying these because they actually have a lot of benefits across a lot of fields. Lung cancer uh, is, is one of the main ones that you think about among smokers. We talked about that study recently. Um, but they protect cells against DNA damage, um, inactivate carcinogens, activate cancer-fighting genes, and they just overall are just very anti-inflammatory. Uh, they induce cell death, which sounds bad, but it helps get, clean up the cells that are kind of on their way out to make sure that they don't become dangerous, harmful cells. Uh, so they're actually really good things to eat. Yeah, but not to the exclusion of everything Correct. else. Because yeah. every plant food has its own mixture, variety of nutrients, um, helpful microorganisms that come along with them. And it's really just the need for the big diversity of plants in our meals throughout the days, throughout the weeks that really make a great impact on our health. But definitely make some of those cruciferous. But also remember all the other vegetables, the leafy greens, the tubers, the whole grains, um, nuts and seeds and various spices and herbs. And of course, fruits. Fruits are fantastic. Don't let people tell you otherwise. Yeah. I don't care if you have diabetes or not. It's okay to eat an apple. So looking at, there's a study here in June of 2019 
uh, American Society for Nutrition, it found that millions of cardiovascular deaths have been attributed to not eating enough fruits and vegetables. And in some studies, they actually will call this the number one cause of death in the world, um, above smoking or heart disease, all those heart disease and all of the things that kill people can be attributed to not eating enough fruits and vegetables. So let's just take a moment. And I think maybe one of the better ways to go through this question is by asking other questions and by answering them. So let's just go through some questions one by one. Uh, I'll take the first one, which is, what is the difference between vegan and a whole food plant-based diet? And we definitely got into this, but I think just defining it from the perspective of a person who is whole food plant-based on that diet versus the perspective of someone who's on a vegan diet. I would say that the person eating a vegan diet is much more concerned about everybody but themselves. And it's a diet that they're mainly choosing for um, animal reasons, ethical reasons, environmental reasons, sustainability reasons, and not so much their own health for the most part. Whereas on the other hand, and that's and to go back to that, that's fine because when you eat an Oreo, yeah, you know, that's doing less environmental damage and there are no animals involved there. But it's pretty bad for the person eating an Oreo. Maybe not one, but once the bag is finished, you're not on a good track. Now, a whole food plant-based diet person is really just their main priority is themselves and their health. And so they're eating it primarily for disease reversal, for getting control of their medical problems, for not developing the problems their parents have, stuff like that. Would you think that's a decent description? Yeah. Yeah. I know some people who started down the path of being whole food plant-based with the intent of being environmentalistic and then realized, oh, wow, the health benefits are actually pretty radical if I do you know, the whole food plant-based as opposed to veganism. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there aren't very many vegans that I know who are doing a non-whole food diet that are not, that are vegan just for the health. That's not a, really that common. At least not anecdotally. Yeah, right. So, okay. But we also get this question. Zach, where do you get your protein? Yeah, people are really, really concerned about protein. And nobody cares about where you get your protein until they know that you don't eat meat. <laughs> And now it's like the most important thing in the world to them. Um, so first of all, let's be clear. High protein diets are usually associated with higher death rates. Uh, people who eat more protein usually die more of cancer and heart disease than everybody else. Particularly if it's animal protein. Right. And that's usually why. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm looking at a graphic right now, uh, comparing 100 grams of beef to 100 grams of most types of beans. Same amount of protein at 22 grams, more fiber for the beans, more iron, calcium, magnesium, less cholesterol, and it's cheaper. Uh, so I get most of my protein from beans, legumes, uh, some nuts. I try not to do a ton of nuts um, just because there's a little more oil in them, but much less oil or fat than in meat. Um, but yeah, mostly from beans. And you don't need, a, like, people are under this impression that you need like 300 grams of protein a day. I don't know where that came from. Uh, even if you're like a champion bodybuilder, you probably don't need that much. But for the average person, uh, and I'm pretty active and I work out six to seven days a week, um, and you're eating 50, 60, 70 grams of protein a day, that's totally fine. You don't need more than that. Yeah. And that's right around, right? Recall the RDAs are the recommended daily allowances that are put up by the US government. And those are to cover basically everybody. So if for some reason you might eat protein and not retain it, it's to cover you too. So it's an, it's skewed higher and people are still exceeding it routinely. 
Yeah, it's been a long time since I've met somebody in America who's not getting enough protein in their diet. If you're getting enough calories, you're getting enough protein. Assuming you don't have like cancer or some like highly metabolic disease, and that's that's a totally different issue. Um, And even that would still, I would argue, whole food plant based diet would be better for you because it's less cancer feeding. But yeah, there there are certain I guess people that you meet who are malnourished, but they're malnourished for other reasons, not because they're you're just overall malnourished, right? They're just not right eating. And they're not taking enough calories, period. Um, and everything has some protein in it. Even stuff that you might not think has any protein in it. If baked potato has some protein in it, has like, I think one medium, yeah, one medium baked potato has five grams of protein in it. So protein's coming all over the place. You don't really have to worry about getting enough as long as you're eating enough. So next question that... Not many people ask, but some people in the know will, which is, what about calcium? Another big concern among people. Uh, same thing for what we just talked about. Those beans contain 123 milligrams of calcium and 100 grams of beans. That's a decent amount. Uh, and people who are drinking dairy milk, it's not like they're crushing it with their, their calcium levels. Even though they're intaking a lot of calcium, a lot of times they're not absorbing it. So it's not like it is, you're going to be deficient in it if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet. Also, um, spinach has has a decent amount of calcium in it. A lot of vegetables that people don't think about have a decent amount of calcium. Yeah. Um, Collard greens. Mm -hmm. Kale. Yeah. So one cup of kale has 101 milligrams of calcium in it. Yeah. If you took a cup of collards, you get 268 milligrams of calcium. Even a cup of edamame is going to have 100 milligrams of calcium. Now, a cup of dairy milk will have about 316 milligrams of calcium. But you know what? A cup of almond milk will have 450. So there's really plenty of sources for good calcium intake. And there's no argument to be made that a whole food plant-based diet can't have calcium. That just doesn't, that's not a good argument. Well, here's where I will take that. And where did the animals get their calcium? Right. And the same, honestly, you can make the same argument about B12. Yeah. I mean, when cows eat the grass... Send the microorganisms that are in the dirt. Right. If you want to eat dirt, you can get them too. That being said, there is, there are most whole food plant-based people will suggest that you supplement with B12. Yes. And we would be in that crowd as well. Yes. And the best recommendation for that is usually a chewable or dissolvable. The whole pills don't absorb all that well or the spray. Uh, those actually will absorb a little bit better. So if you're going to do it, that's the, probably the best way to do it. But that being said, Nina, we're supposed to be taking our... Which is Zach's wife. Yeah, sorry. I should probably have mentioned that. Uh, We're supposed to be taking our B12 supplement. Um, uh, You can probably get away with taking it like every other day or every third day. You don't don't need a lot. No, and it takes you years to deplete it. But she she is awful at taking any sort of pill that she's supposed to take. So she, I don't think she's taken her B12 in years. And she routinely gets her blood drawn and she's never been low. So most people will be just fine. But that being said, I do think you should supplement. Probably good to build in a backstop there. It's an important vitamin. But there there was that myth that it's only made from animals, but it's not. Yeah. It's actually made from what the animals are eating. Yeah. Which is the stuff in the ground. <laughs> what else? What's our next question? So since this whole food plant-based diet is so helpful, why haven't I heard about it from a doctor? That's a good one. Go on. I would say that it's just not really well known. I would say that we are not well educated in that when it comes to medical school and residencies 
even if you're doing a primary care focused residency, nutrition is not on the list of things that are going to be tested. Definitely not in medical school. I think we just had a few hours of nutrition training there and all my other nutrition training had to come afterwards yeah. on my own. And the nutrition training we get in medical school is probably wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and it's mainly focused on deficiency. Right. What happens if you're missing B12? What happens yeah. if you're missing niacin? What happens if this? Yeah, that's true. And it's sad, but there's a lot of I, medical knowledge has advanced so much in the past uh, 10, 20, 30. I mean, you pick the time period because we're so rapidly advancing that I think it's, there's so much stuff to learn that I think nutrition is just put on the back burner because, mm-hmm. you know, we, the amount of drugs that come out now and the amount of research and the procedures, which again are helpful for what they do. Yeah. But they're not helpful in prevention. Um, so we just don't get a whole or lot of in, learning. Or in reversal. Or in reversal. Yeah. 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 And that's the other thing. I mean, with the the built-in perception that nutrition isn't that powerful, mm-hmm. it takes lower priority. And because it takes lower priority, it's perpetuating the perception that it's not that powerful. And if you think about where medicine came from, way back in the day when stuff was being thought about and developed, we had to worry about malnutrition more than we do now. Yeah. I mean, now the problem is overeating. And yeah, you could see we're not we're not eating nutritious things. You could say that we eat a lot of stuff and we're not still getting those nutrients. <laughs> it's amazing how we can just eat so much stuff and not get still not get the stuff that we need. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think it's malevolence why physicians don't tell their patients about this stuff. I think it's lack of knowledge, lack of training. Lack of comfort with it. Yeah, and I think that's part of it too. And and a lot of times for primary care docs, and I know this sounds cruel, or I don't know what the word is cruel, but they don't have time. You know, they're so focused on things that... Just sounds real. Yeah. And the healthcare system, as we've talked about many times in this podcast, has its flaws. And one of those flaws is that this isn't exactly reward prevention of disease. Um, say it punishes it. So I, I think that's part of the problem is that they're incentivized in different ways. And if that's the case, they kind of focused on the things that... And, and I think they're to a point they're brainwashed to think that this is what's helpful for patients, um, rather than lifestyle modifications in general, not just nutrition, but all all sorts of lifestyle modifications. Yeah, I mean, in all my experience, and everyone I've met, every single doctor I've met has been motivated by doing what they think is the best for their patient. Right. What they think is the most important thing, the most effective thing, uh, and it's just we differ with our opinion on what nutrition and lifestyle factors play into that. We think that it is, based on the data, way more effective, way more important, and thus should be taking way higher priority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, that's not to say you shouldn't be taking your medicines that are prescribed to you, given your medical history, but wouldn't it be awesome if you can get off some of those medicines, you know, and blood pressure meds and diabetes meds. I mean, these things, those don't have to be forever. Yeah. And by changing what we eat, along with the other lifestyle factors that we'll talk about later on, we can actually repair the problems at their root, at the base of it, and then not even need the pills. You know, you treat the cause, the symptoms come along. Yeah. What's next? What else do we got? What other questions do we get asked? So what are the essential food groups of this new kind of eating? They were generally looking at fruits, grains, legumes, vegetables. That's it. What is a legume? Most beans are legumes. I mean... Yeah. Anything comes out of a pod. Yeah. Speaking of which, soy. Health food? 
Junk food? Evil food? Causes what is cancer, it? Causes causes men to grow breasts. Right. That's what I was told. That's but I think really? I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Oh yeah. Wow. You never heard that? No. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Because they they always think that if they get got estrogens and because it's got estrogens, it's going to cause you to grow breasts and your voice is going to raise and you're going to turn into a woman. Hmm. That's not a thing. No, it's actually more of a thing for people who eat beef. There's more estrogen in beef than there is in soy. Oh, that makes sense. One is coming from an animal. One is coming from a plant. Yeah. So I mean, that makes sense. And so the estrogens that are found in soy are not real estrogens. So they're actually called phytoestrogens. So there was some thought initially that soy causes breast cancer because it's got these estrogen-like compounds in it that can bind to your estrogen receptors. And there are some breast cancers that are estrogen receptor positive and estrogen causes them to grow and get worse. Turns out that the phytoestrogens in soy block those receptors and they don't really activate them. So they hit those receptors and they only do partial partial activity of what the estrogen would do. So it stops estrogens from being uptaken by breast can uh, by the breast cancer type cells and will actually stifle their growth rather than stimulate their growth. So it's protective. Correct. And again, not all sorts of breast cancer. There's some breast cancers that are not estrogen receptor positive. So that's a different story. But for uh, most people, they're going to be able to eat that and actually decrease their risk of cancer. Um, and in the same thought, you're going to not turn into a woman if you're a guy and you eat breast <laughs> if you eat eat breast cancer. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> you're not going to turn into a, a woman if you eat uh, soy. So is that the case for all forms of soy? So no. Uh, the more processed the soy, the less protective it is. So those phytoestrogens are stripped out of processed soy. So if your your tempeh and your uh, edamame, um, tofu, tofu, yeah. You so see, your your forms of less processed soy are going to be fine. They're actually going to be good for you. Um, but if you start eating like your Boca burgers, or your soy protein isolate, things like that that are highly processed, you're just losing that benefit. So the, your your health benefit goes significantly down. Yeah, not to say that they are terrible choices. These. Uh, substitute meats they're just not as good i think if we had to pick and choose um we would say eat the the whole grain or the whole soy product or whole anything is going to be better but it's certainly better than these mock meats that they're coming out with that are they're not really plant-based they're just vegan uh they're still not great for you but they're certainly better than eating a beef burger yeah i mean if you're gonna eat a burger and you're going out you're just gonna eat a burger it's gonna happen well pick the one that didn't come from an animal. It's going to be healthier. It will kill you less. Exactly. That's a better way to put it. What other questions do you get asked? Iron. Am I going to be missing out on iron by eating just plants? No. But iron came from blood, which came from animals. Well, again, where do the... Somebody's got to get iron from somebody or somewhere, right? I mean... That's true. Where, where does the animal get it from? Yeah. Beans are fine. Again, beans have a decent amount of iron in them. Yeah. In fact... I mean, once again, all these plants are going to have various levels. And if you eat a varied diet, you're going to be getting all these nutrients. I have a friend. She eats no meat. And her doctor has told her her iron levels are getting dangerously high. So <laughs> it was recommended that she cut out the meat from her diet because they're clearly not discussing nutrition. But yeah, again, 100 grams of beans versus 100 grams of beef, 5 milligrams of iron in the bean group, 1.9 in beef. It's just, again, it's a fallacy. And then, well, what do we do? Let's say, you know, let's say there are people out there, they're buying into the data. It's convincing them, as 
good data does. And they want to do it, but they have social considerations. What do they do when they go to eat out? Now, granted, at the moment, we're on lockdown, right? Or at least shelter is home as much as you can. Please don't eat out. But once things open up again, once people are social and out and about again, how do you handle eating out? Uh, I don't think it's that difficult. Um, and, and initially it kind of is, don't get me wrong. There's a there's a learning curve, but you kind of just plan ahead a little bit more. You know where you're going and you say, hey, I know this place has this option. Uh, most places will have black bean burgers. Now, the nice thing about uh, being, out, being able to be plant-based in 2020 is the vegan movement is picking up some steam. Um, so there are a lot of places that have vegan options. I mean, eating salads is always an option. A lot of people aren't filled by that, but a lot of your pasta dishes, if you just add in most places, you'll find some degree of a healthy pasta dish. And you just have to ask them to hold oil eating out in restaurants. They will put a ton of oil into things. Um, but if you just tell them, don't have, don't add butter, don't add oil to, to a lot of meals, you're good. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's my typical routine to go through things, find some of the menus. If it's something easy to modify, which most things are, by just holding meat, most restaurants have no problem doing that. Yeah. So I'll say I was... The exact same thing. I've been able to successfully do this in New Orleans, where we used to live for a bit. And if we can do it in New Orleans, you can do it pretty much in any American city, I imagine. And that was how long ago? That was a while ago. That was... What year is it now? So that's going to be more than six years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I would imagine six years later, it's probably even easier. Yeah. Because, again, these the militant vegans are taking over and demanding their food. Thank you. <laughs> we'll, we'll take advantage of that. <laughs> now, granted, that's not health food, but it's certainly a better option. Yes. And when you go out, you're looking for your best option. And I think that no matter what your diet is, I mean, there's if you eat out, it's always a little bit riskier as far as health goes. I mean, it's, it's more difficult to eat healthy out of the house than it is at home. And that's just true of no matter what you eat. Now, if you are somebody who is actually very critically ill or significantly ill, and you're working with us and we're talking about doing things to reverse that illness, for example, heart disease, then it's not, it, it turns into more than just, oh, pick your best option when yeah. you go out. You have to do a little more than that. Yeah. But that's not most people. I know some people, and I don't do this, but I know some people who actually call ahead to the restaurants and ask them to make certain meals without oil. Um, but they kind of need a little bit of a heads up. So you have to plan your meals a little more in advance. And they said that they've usually had pretty good responses to that, that chefs are excited to make things that they otherwise wouldn't make. So Again, express some creativity. Yeah, not my thing, but people have done that and they say they have good expect success doing it. So it's, that's another option. No, I've done that. Have you? Yeah. Have you ever had pushback? Yeah, I have. Actually. Okay. And then we picked a different place yeah. and that was fine. Yeah. So I've only had pushback at one place and otherwise it's been fine. And I think it was mainly because I didn't give enough heads up time. We were literally stepping out of the door. Oh, yeah. We we're like, we're going to go to a restaurant. Walk down the street. Hey, I see one. Let's call them. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's a little... <laughs> that might be asking a lot, especially then, if it's busy. Yeah. I mean, it was a Friday or Saturday night. But then, all right, let's call another one. And they said, yeah, no problem. So it's doable. Got to be a little flexible, though. Maybe plan ahead. But I think this is a good spot where we could talk about fad diets with... Well, there's one more situation we should probably talk oh. about. Uh, family and friends. Oh, Yeah. Uh, that's another question I get asked often because my, a lot of my family and friends don't do this. Mm -hmm. Um, so we go to specific events and, uh, you know, people are like, well, how do you eat there? And we don't really like asking people to cook special for us. It feels a little bit off-putting. Um, so oftentimes we'll bring our own food. 
and it's really easy to do it like big events like if you're getting together for christmas not in the middle of a pandemic uh you can bring your own food and nobody's really gonna think twice about it um or you just do it under the you know you cook for them uh sometimes a little more work but mm-hmm. you can at least control them what, what's being made and i don't remember any time that i can recall that we made something for somebody that they didn't love that and then well, let me just talk about that. I recall at least one, more than one time, where I did have to make my own food or we had to make our own food and take it. And then when it was time to eat, that food was gone. Nice. I've never had that problem. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good one. So make extra. Yeah. If you're gonna, that's a good point. If you're going to do it, make, some, make enough for everybody. Don't be rude. No, no. It was enough for everybody. Oh, and you still didn't get any. And then you did make enough for everybody. Yeah. Well, clearly. <laughs> everybody minus one. <laughs> minus some. Yeah. So take your serving first. There. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, other than that, when people come over, when we cook for them, we've never had problems. Um, people always like what we make. Uh, yeah, it's not as hard as you think. And, and I, I went with, we had a bachelor weekend where we went down to a, a cabin for a weekend out in the middle of nowhere. And it was my meat-eating friends who all grew up the same way that I did, where we didn't know any better. And I brought my my own food, and like we we made jokes about it and moved on with our lives. I mean, nobody's like nobody hates you for not eating the way. They, I mean, if you do, I guess get new friends. Like if your if your <laughs> friends make fun of you for wanting to eat healthy, I don't I don't know. Say to those people. <laughs> Easier said than done. I, I know for some people. I know, well, especially if it's your family. You get new family. <laughs> Whatever. That's why you get married, right? You pick a new family. <laughs> It's the only time you can. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Can we talk about fad diets now? Now we can talk about fad diets. So where do you want to start? There are just so many. Uh, How do you want to start with the one that's eh, less bad? I'm going to start with Mediterranean. Yeah, then. we can start with Mediterranean. We'll, we'll, we'll start off without me going on an absolute tirade. We'll save that for, I for last. It's going to be entertaining. I th- yeah, I think you're probably right. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so tell me. Um, well, let me start this off. The Mediterranean diet is supposed to be the diet of those people living in the islands of the Mediterranean, specifically... My people. Oh, yeah. You're Greek. Yeah. 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 You should talk about this. I mean, just because they're my... No. It's <laughs> talk about so, it. It's in your blood. <laughs> so the Mediterranean diet is a, a fish, nut, and oil-heavy diet. Um, there's also some red wine involved in it. Uh, but it, that's kind of the crux of it, where you're not eating as much um, red meat... And it's an improvement from the standard American diet. I'll give them credit for that. It's an improvement in the sense that they do eat whole foods, um, but they're still adding in a lot of cardiovascular foods that are, I think are pretty not great choices. Same thing with cancer-causing foods. So they looked at diets comparing the Mediterranean diet uh, to the standard American diet pretty often. And this is where you often see the the benefit of it, where it's like, oh, drink red wine and, and add add some olive oil to everything you eat because olive oil is good for you to the point where some people that I knew were like just eating a teaspoon of olive oil, just like drinking it a day. Uh, not the best health choice. So the uh, the comparisons to the standard American diet, I think are kind of like, it's just a strange choice to me. It, it's like, you know, choosing hitting yourself in the head with a rock versus hitting yourself in the head with a pillow. Like, yes, the rock is worse for you, but is the pillow doing you many favors? Probably not. Um, it hurts less. Yeah, I, I guess it hurts less. Yeah. It's it's better. It doesn't mean it's the best. Uh, so the Mediterranean diet's a, a fine diet choice if you want to be okay but not great. Um, and they also look at these. The the idea came from these people who lived in these small European towns where they were 
pretty much doing all of their work and creating their own food and they're very active people. They don't drive to work. They don't typically smoke. They tend to be otherwise pretty healthy people. So when they looked at the longevity of these people's lives and their cardiovascular disease incidents and their, some of their cancer incidents, it was a little bit lower just because they were healthier people from an activity standpoint. Uh, so that didn't get really get teased out all that well. Uh, but that's the Mediterranean diet in a nutshell. It's not, it's better than a standard American diet, but it doesn't come anywhere close to a whole food plant-based diet. And if you look at mortality studies, it's pretty well upheld. Yeah. And I would also add in that if, if you're looking at scales within studies about how well did a person adhere to a Mediterranean diet, they end up getting more adherence points for the more plants they eat. So we're really trying to make a proxy for a whole food plant-based diet. Yeah. And again, to their credit, they do encourage a lot of fruit and vegetables yeah. in a Mediterranean diet. And there may be a lot of people for which a Mediterranean diet is going to be okay. And they could do all right with it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not. It's just not the best. And It's if not you, your optimal. And certainly if you have known coronary disease, I would say it's, it's way too oil heavy. And if you are trying to reverse anything, be it diabetes, heart disease, whatever, this is not your ideal choice. Right. So moving on, talk about paleo. Paleo is a little bit less exciting to me because it's like keto light. Yeah. So we'll group them together. Yeah, we'll we'll get to keto. And you know what? Atkins is right in that. Yeah. Any of the high protein. They're synonymous. Yeah. The pro- high protein diets for all intents and purposes are going to be treated the same. Any other diets before we go to keto that we should cover? I mean, just some of the funny ones. Wow. Like like the like the cotton ball diet. How does that work? I think you're supposed to like you eat cotton balls until you're not hungry anymore. Fiber. I see. Yeah, I guess. Um <laughs> There's the, what is it, like the five-bite diet or something like that? Like you can eat five bites of whatever you want before you eat like other stuff. So that like okay. it's supposed to kill your craving or something. Interesting. It's not. All right. It's stupid. So, and, and I think- the, <laughs> Zach uh, doesn't hold back. <laughs> he has a limited filter. That's the thing that realize about a lot of these diets though, is that a lot of them are based on calorie restrictions, which long-term we know just don't work. And, and that's true of a lot of that. Hard diet. to stick with. Yeah. And diet programs, when people buy into diet programs uh, and they get their meals sent to them, a lot of them are just calorie restrictions. Uh, and yeah, you'll lose some weight because ultimately losing weight is about calories and it has a lot to do with it. It's, there's some other nuance to it. But of course, if you calorie restrict yourself, you're going to lose some weight. But yeah, it's not necessarily healthy calories. Uh, so you could still be doing awful things to your body or depriving yourself of good nutrients. Uh, but you're also not going to be able to stick with that diet. Yeah, at a certain point, you're going to go back to what you were doing. And that's what we often see is people rebound and then they end up gaining more weight back than they lost. So the calorie restriction diets, the diet fads um, are not going to be helpful and they're going to be ultimately more harmful than helpful. So getting into the high protein, low carb diets. Let it rip. So I'm just, I'm just going to talk entirely about keto here because again, we're going to treat these kind of all the same. Uh, so the keto diet was originally based on the Inuit population. Uh, the Inuits are, as, as some people call them Eskimos, but the proper term is Inuit. They were a group of people who lived in the Alaskan area uh, that would eat high animal fat, a high pro- a proportion of animal fat in the diet, mostly because that's all they had available to them. So it's not like they chose not to eat fruit. They couldn't eat fruit. So these people tended to look and act healthy. Uh, and so I think it piqued some interest among researchers to say what's making these people healthy. And of course, they looked at their diet, which was high in blubber, because that was a lot of the animals that they were eating up there were, you know, things that 
lived in sea and had high, high fat concentrations and had to be kept warm. And they said, oh, these people are eating a ton of animal fat and they're, they look healthy that we might, we should be probably be eating what they eat because that's just a first thought process because it supports whatever bias that you want to support. If I eat bacon, it has to be good for me because I like bacon. Unfortunately, uh, Inuits died from coronary disease. They have cardiovascular disease, the same rate as the rest of Canada. So would you take the Canada and you go way out west where the Inuits are? They have the same exact uh, rates of coronary atherosclerosis. So they looked at death rates from coronary disease, which didn't necessarily kill the Inuits as fast because Canadians who were non-Inuits died from coronary disease at higher rates, but the Inuits died 10 years younger and from other things. Commonly, they would die from basically malnutrition. They had higher rates of parasitic infections and things like that because they weren't eating fruits and vegetables. But they also had pretty unique health characteristics that were not really addressed in the original thought process of why to, why we should be eating like them. So Sagar, do you know how many more miles a day the average American would have to walk to get the same amount of health, same amount of activity as an Inuit person? On a regular day? Regular day. So not just what you have to walk, but walk more than you typically walk. 10 miles. 19 that's to walk lot. 19 miles. Has it, have you any, anybody here typically walk 19 miles a day? Because that seems like a lot. I know there's probably some runners here who probably think that's not that hard to do, but I think most people would say 19 miles of walking is a lot. Every and, day. Every day. And so what they probably had going on from a coronary disease standpoint, which uh, this is my supposition, I have no idea if this is true, but this would make the most sense to me, is if they're developing some coronary disease, but they're walking so much, they're probably developing some pretty significant collaterals pretty early on. So what they'll get is these blood vessels that flow around their major arteries that still feed blood flow to the muscle, even if the main artery gets locked down. And they probably needed to do this because they had to. The body knows when it needs to build additional blood vessels, and that's probably what happened to these people. But regardless, they still had atherosclerosis, and they still died earlier than others. The other interesting thing about Inuits is they have a genetic resistance to the ketosis. So that's what it calls, why we call this the keto diet is because it's ketogenic. It causes your body to go into a state called ketosis where you release ketone bodies so that your body feeds on fat rather than on glucose. Inuits didn't have that issue. Uh, you'll know people, they call it the keto flu when they first start this because their body just feels terrible because they're going through ketogenesis and they're not really, they're not thriving on glucose anymore. They're thriving on ketones. So yeah, but key, uh, Inuit people don't go through ketosis. So they actually don't use ketones for energy. So they're able to go through excessive rates of what's called gluconeogenesis, where you break down other tissues, namely muscle in the body to use that for glucose. So the keto diet, as it pertains to anybody who's not an Inuit, makes absolutely no sense, both on a genetic level and a lifestyle level. They died from coronary disease. They died younger. They were genetically modified people, basically, that would make them more inclined to be able to live on this diet without feeling terribly. And they had to. This isn't something that they chose. They had to do it. Uh, and it makes absolutely no sense to apply that to the average person. The only benefit that the keto diet has ever shown in certain groups of people in America were children who had seizures that were resistant to multiple anti-epileptic drugs. There are some kids that do better with that. Uh, but as most adults don't have that issue, this diet has no place in, in anybody's teaching. And I'll interject, even for those kids, the diet is temporary. It's not permanent. Right. So yeah, the keto diet, when people are on that because they want to lose weight or which again, the whole food plant-based diet has shown long-term to keep weight off. Keto, you know, get a keto diet, you'll lose weight mostly because it's a calorie restriction diet. Uh, you will lose some weight temporarily. Um, and it makes numbers look better. I think people get really excited because their LDL goes down or their 
their I don't know their A1Cs can go down because their sugar goes down a bit, but their inflammatory markers are up. They still die faster. Uh, it's still a very thrombogenic diet uh, from a coronary risk factor standpoint, a stroke risk factor standpoint, a cancer risk factor standpoint. What does thrombogenic mean? You're more like a clot. Uh, so good thing Sagar's here. I, I, get, <laughs> I get all excited and amped up and forget that I need to define some things. But yeah, it's it's just it's. I tell most of my patients who are on it that it's the single worst diet that's ever been suggested to the American public uh, because we just know that ultimately this diet will kill people. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen a number of publications comparing these high protein diets to people not doing that. And the mortality rate is always higher with the people doing high protein diets. It's only a matter of how much higher. And there is variation in how much. Will it be uh, an increased hazard of 12% or will it be increased by 36 or 50? But no matter what, it's going up. Yeah, there was a 2007 study of, they did 40,000 Swedish women. Uh, and women above 40, uh, the more protein you took in was increased with more death. Uh, and that's the bottom line, kind of what Sagar just said. Um, and less carbohydrate intake was associated with more death. It's just when you more when you sway your diet more to protein and less away from carbs, you are more likely to die. Uh, and and there's a 2018 study that looked at a bunch of other studies and looked at a million patients. And the that's a lot, yeah, a million people. Uh, and the summation of it is for every 28 grams of whole grains, not just like white carbs or your added sugar, specifically whole grains. So that is important. You get a nine percent decrease in total mortality. For each 28 grams, so you can, this is not, you don't have to stop at just 9%, 14% decrease in cardiovascular mortality and a 3% decrease from cancer mortality. Uh, and that, that's just, that's just from eating whole grains. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And that just, I mean, we didn't really talk about uh, like the word, the term carbs has become a villainous term. The carbs are inherently evil now in who, today's world. Who was it who said, oh, I forget his name. Was it Garth Davis who said you could rob a bank with a with a loaf of bread now? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I haven't heard that, but that is fantastic. That really summarizes it now. Yeah. Carbs have become this blown out of proportion thing where people think they're unhealthy, but they're actually quite healthy if you're talking about whole carbs. Right. Whole grains. Sadly, sugar, table sugar, um, candy bars, which is sugar mixed with fat have all become synonymous with the word carbs. And these are different things. If you look at a steel-cut oat and you look at a tablespoon of sugar, you were not dealing with the same food here. Yeah, it's like a Mercedes versus a, you know, a cardboard box on four wheels <laughs> <laughs> with a little engine. They're both cars, but yeah, they're, they're both roughly equivalent. We'll do studies, we'll compare them. We'll, we'll do crash test dummies in both of them and see who survives more and then call it an equivalent study. Not quite the same thing. I also want to make a point here in these talks of high-protein intake diets that there is a bit of difference between where your protein is coming from. If it's coming from mainly animal sources, then across the board that I've seen in these studies, there is higher mortality, also known as a higher risk of dying. But when you start looking at what about high-protein from just plants, now there's starting to become different values that come out. Some showing 
maybe a little bit higher chance of dying, and some showing maybe a lower chance of dying. So it's hard to know, but what can be seen is that there's definitely a difference by where you're getting your protein from. And plant-based protein is significantly healthier. Yeah, the bottom line is animal protein kills you. Plant-based protein probably doesn't. Yeah, and it's probably helpful. Yeah. But once again, eat a varied diet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you do need the fruits. You need vegetables. You need legumes. legumes, You need whole grains. You need all of these things. You can't just survive on. And, oh, we probably should also, the last diet we should probably mention is the raw vegan diet. Oh, yeah. It's, it again, depends on what kind it is because there seem to be different kinds. Yeah, I think a lot of people would do like the whole food plant-based but raw so you can't cook anything. Uh, and the biggest problem with that that I've seen is it's just highly, highly restrictive. Um, and that's where people – so you'll see some celebrities were doing raw vegan and they stopped doing it because they lost weight or became malnourished or something. Or They weren't eating enough. Right. And it's because they overly restricted their diet. So when you read about some of these celebrities, keep these things in mind. Uh, these aren't – they aren't necessarily doing a whole food plant-based diet the way that it's been studied and designed to be done. I think that sometimes we get the idea that if we cook something, we're not doing it the way that, quote, nature intended it to be done, close quote. Uh, so we get into a little bit of a, a calorie restriction and nutrient restriction that we didn't need to impose on ourselves. So you don't necess- you don't need to be a raw vegan. Yeah. And there are those even other more restrictive stuff like you can only eat this kind of fruit. Yeah. And you can only eat potatoes or... You can only eat pixie sticks. Certain. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of different kinds out there. And that's a that's a good point. They've, they've done studies looking at people who are gluten-free. And people, I mean, if you're if you have celiac disease, that's fine. And there's some st- evidence that there is such thing as gluten intolerance among people who aren't gluten or who, who aren't suffering from celiac disease, uh, where you will actually get some legitimate issues with it. But if you can eat gluten, it's actually better for you because by restricting yourself from eating gluten, you're actually restricting yourself from a lot of whole grains that are actually protective from disease. So Including intestinal disease. Everyone talks about leaky gut. Whole grains, including whole wheat, as long as you're not one of the very few people that have celiac disease or something similar, is going to help with your intestine not being leaky. Yeah. Yeah. And people will actually, people who are gluten-free have higher mortality rates. So- Keep that in mind. And that's not necessarily uh, just because you're cutting gluten. Gluten is not inherently bad for people unless you have celiac disease. Yeah. And think about, I mean, a lot of what people are cutting out when they cut out gluten is processed food, which is fantastic. Great. Cut that out. Yeah. But if you're cutting out whole wheat, whole barley, um, then we got maybe some problems. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, what intended, well, we intended to be a pretty short podcast here. Oh yeah. We predicted maybe eight minutes. I know this has turned into an incredibly long podcast. There's a lot of information here. Um, that's Break it down for what it's worth. I mean, we're going to be talking about a lot of these things in detail, but this is the crux of a whole food plant-based diet. And there are some tricks to go about doing this better or more fun or more creatively. Then we're going to go into more of those things in our podcast as well. Uh, so, But we just wanted to give you guys an introduction to this and kind of a summary of the things that are detracting from health that you hear from a lot of people that can get you into trouble yeah that you have power over that you can control so really until next time uh look into this more try to increase your your grains and vegetables and and fruits and nuts and legumes in your diet um and try to cut out meat cut out try to cut out dairy 
uh, do the whole food plant-based diet and see how you feel. And it's not all or nothing. What yeah. you get it, what you get out is going to be dependent on what you put in, how strict you are with yourself, if you want to use the word strict. But it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Just do the best you can, and you'll get something out of it. Yeah, and we're here to help. So until next time. Remember, the way you live can save your life. <laughs>